If you see your value as your output, and most of my listeners probably will, what happens to your sense of self when you leave a big job, particularly if it's with a prestigious brand? As a high achiever, your business card can offer status and recognition and reinforce your sense of worth. You feel powerful in that role. You're part of something bigger. It's exciting, or it was at some point. So you left. Maybe you chose to go because you were burnt out or a life event happened that took priority. Maybe you were made redundant. And even if you know in your heart of hearts that it was the right thing to do to leave, wow, that transition can be messy and so disorientating. In this episode, you will hear from two women who exited big careers. Alina Addison, former head of trading at Rothschild, and Lily Gill, a former management consultant at IBM. You will hear their raw, no-holds-barred revelations about how they felt disentangling their sense of self from their roles. I hope their candidness of navigating that messy middle bit makes you feel less alone if you're in that place too. Before we kick off, welcome to Enough, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mandy Leto, ex-investment banker turned executive coach. This is a show for anyone whose life looks impressive on the outside, but inside, you secretly never feel good enough. You're exhausted, maybe even burnt out. And in these conversations, I poke around underneath the usual shiny success stories and take you right into the mess, the fear of irrelevance, and the howl of self-doubt that can grip us overachievers and perfectionists at 2 a.m. I see you because I've been there too, and um, I still am sometimes. Oh, and while all this might sound super heavy, I try to make these conversations both deep, useful, and fun. You'll always leave with a goodie bag of ideas to try in your own life right away. To start, I want to share a voice memo with you. Remember Megan Carl, Nike's former head of basketball for North America? Massive job, iconic brand. If you haven't already heard my episode with her, go and find it after this one. It's episode 31. Anyway, Megan and I were playing phone tag when I asked her to share what happened to her self-identity after leaving a 30-year career at Nike. So here she is, voice noting us from her car. I had no idea who I was without my work. My identity was completely tied up into where I had spent more than half my life. And without it, I was, you know, in the stranger things upside down world. After all, what I had done for a living was the singular signifier of my identity. Megan from Nike was one word. Megan from Nike said everything I was willing to know about myself. It said everything I was willing to allow the world to know about me. I didn't know who I was without my job, the adrenaline, the pace, the challenge, the stress, the competition. And I had no idea what my value to anyone else could be without it. Not only that, but Megan from Nike defined my approach to everything for over half my life, how I lived, breathed, worked out, traveled, mothered, wifed, ate, slept, interacted, all to the beat of 
Megan from Nike. Megan left a career where she got to talk parenting with Kobe Bryant. She attended an invite-only Prince concert where she was seated in the front row. She met Magic Johnson at one of Michael Jordan's parties. Like, this kind of thing was part of her life. But for her, the real magic was in the day-to-day working environment, hanging out with the creme de la creme of the industry, many of whom were world champions and Olympians. Megan was in this cauldron of talent, as she described it. No wonder it was tough letting go. Leaving a big career can cause what authors Stone and Heen call an identity quake in their book, Difficult Conversations. I asked Alina Addison, ex-head of trading at Rothschild, to give us a glimpse into some high points of her banking career, the perks and the status of what she was leaving. So for me, at the sort of peak, I suppose, of the investment banking world was, yeah, really being associated, as you said, Alina and Rothschild, the managing director at Rothschild, the head of trading, head of execution, where, you know, I would go to most of the networking events. And this business card as such was such an opener to conversations, to deals, to all sorts of perks. And really looking back all to that life, the absolute peak was getting, I think I told you that story, getting onto a private jet in the morning with my top clients, taking them to Chateau Lafitte for the day, and then coming back uh, in the evening. I mean, that was just extraordinary to experience that. Sometimes I just sort of pinch myself thinking, wow, did I really do that? And then all the other things in the 2000s and, you know, just before the whole meltdown in 2008 and nine, um, going to Royal Albert Hall with my clients for all of those wonderful shows or going to the O2, the Disney on Ice and with, with my children, their children, really was a wonderful life from the outside. And uh, I, I loved it. I, I, I truly did for quite a long period of time. Alina's 15-year finance career spanned M&A to merchant banking. She loved the constant reinvention that the team went through in that time. But she started to feel burnt out and disillusioned as the banking world changed after the 2007-2008 crisis. There was also some major upheaval going on in her personal life that radically shifted her identity and her priorities. For me, that the whole walking away felt different when when I did uh, from this huge iconic brand because there was a lot going on in my personal life at the time. So I separated from my husband of 18 years and, and that was a huge loss and I was still grieving that process. Not long after my son was diagnosed with high-functioning autism you know, Asperger's, he was nine at the time. And there was a huge diagnosis and prognosis that I had no idea how that was going to turn around. And and then a few years later, again, there was a big traumatic event that happened to one of my children, um, which to this day, I'm still processing. That's not 
a story for me to tell. That's a story for for them to tell when they're ready. And yeah, I feel really very tender um, about that particular event that changed our our trajectory as as a family forever. And my positive self still says that everything, you know, every obstacle is an opportunity. And I, although I still believe that, I will not wish that on anybody, whether they are my friends or my enemies. So with all of that in the background, the idea um, of leaving an iconic brand just seemed really insignificant in the big scheme of things. Before she resigned, Alina was in the messy middle for another 12 months. In the days and weeks after the traumatic event that she mentioned with one of her children, Alina would go into the office, sometimes crying on the train behind her big sunglasses. And then she had this routine to get herself back together. I used to get into the building, get on the stairs, so go up the stairs so I wouldn't get into the lift with anybody, straight into the, you know, the... the the uh, the restrooms and I used to do the power pose L- literally for days I used to get and and I used to look at the ceiling and get myself you know sorted and then I would go back and carry on as she grew ever more disillusioned Alina wrote a letter of resignation that she carried with her every day for a year knowing that it was there ready to hand over in case she ever needed it She said that this letter gave her a sense of power during such a powerless time. And when Alina finally did leave, these were some of her initial feelings. I mean, there was definitely a loss of identity. There was definitely a loss of this affiliation with this iconic brand, as you said, truly. And all of the perks that came with it, everything was just so easy um, in, in the way that the doors were opening and opened. The interesting thing for me and, and is that the first loss that I felt was the health insurance. You know, I mean, the, all of those perks and suddenly, so I, I, I was in the middle of an enormous uh, shoulder pain, which is where my, my body screams. We all have one place within our bodies which are telling us um, when when things are not going according to plan or where we really disaligned. And so for me, that was the first time when my body was absolutely screaming. I mean, I my right shoulder froze and um, I just needed to have the usual physiotherapy. And uh, I suddenly didn't have that. On reflection, Alina realized that grief and loss and relief and a sense of I'm so done with this could all coexist. Her shoulder pain was talking to her. I've escaped a system that I felt quite misaligned, totally misaligned. And uh, it was a sense of grief to the extent that, you know, could it be any other better one? I mean, this was supposed to be the best. So if this wasn't working out in the way that I thought it would, I mean, where was going to be another one like this, which ticked every single box of an iconic brand. So there was a lot of that questioning at the time. So where next? For me, 
I think that was one that the son that the whole sense of of loss, the idea of going back to the system in a different shape or form. I couldn't see where else, you know, when I was looking at the sort of top level of the same type of organization, uh, there was almost, I use this word, almost impossible, because obviously there will be a contradiction to me saying that everything is possible, but it felt almost impossible to see another iconic brand or another brand that I was, uh, I, I would have been inspired to pursue. Next, I want you to meet Lily Gill, an ex-management consultant for IBM. Lily was working on a high-profile project in the gas and oil sector, the first of its kind. But then, when the oil price crashed in 2015, Lily's innovation budget dried up. She was in the supermarket one evening when her boss rang her mobile to say, Hey, I'm sorry, but there's no longer a position for you. So what do you do when you're standing there with your baguette and your frozen peas and your cooked ham? Well, Lily shook herself off, and within a couple of weeks, she landed herself a new role within the company. And that role that I landed into was a chief of staff role. So it was, a, you know, a significant step up. I was working with the VP for the largest consulting unit in the UK. We were managing over 600 uh, management consultants in the UK, and I started the role two weeks before lockdown. So <laughs> it was just a crazy time. I was trying to get to grips with a new role. I was working for a leader that was very stressed and short on time to help settle me into that role. And I was just drowning from day one. And I described that time it was a year before I actually left IBM, but I described that time as sprinting through a marathon. Every day at the end of the day, I felt utterly depleted and I had to start the next day again, thinking I didn't know how long I could go on. Lily was struggling in this new role, working for an abrasive boss whose stress and impossible standards were triggering Lily's perfectionism and imposter syndrome big time. Nothing was ever good enough, and Lily's self-esteem was at an all-time low. Burnt out and totally disgruntled, she knew in her heart of hearts that she had to leave, and not a month later, IBM announced an opportunity for voluntary redundancy, which Lily was granted. So as with Alina, there was an identity quake, having left this iconic brand and an industry where there are still so few women. I felt so much shame because I felt I had let down my gender almost. First of all, I was a woman in STEM. I was working for this big brand. And part of my role was mentoring junior consultants and coaching them. And I kept hearing the same story about how we need more women in leadership and how, you know, you are a role model. And so to leave, I felt like I had just let down. Like, what's wrong with me? In a Harvard Business Review article, psychoanalyst Dr. Neil Talkoff says that when we're overinvested in work, we do it at the expense of other areas in our lives wherein we might find meaning and purpose. So 
My take on that is life becomes a one-legged stool when you're super invested in work. Hobbies, friends, connections fall away. We start to forget who we are outside of our work identity. So Lily is exploring this. She's in her first month off. She was doing yoga. She slept long. Her health was getting better. She was going for walks with her dog. But it wasn't long before she started feeling antsy. She realized how much of her significance she'd gotten from telling people that she worked for IBM. And after leaving, she told me how ashamed she felt for being, quote, nobody special now, that she could no longer introduce herself with a fancy title and company name. This was a time of exploring who she was, independent of her work status. So I asked Lily, what did that exploration mean for her? You know, it meant having to figure out what I like and who I am, which was just crazy. You would think that by the time you're a 50-year-old professional, you know who you are. (laughs) And, you know, I had this epiphany because I listened to all these tech podcasts and I was part of all these, you know, I got all these newsletters on women in tech. And I thought, do I actually even want to stay connected to this? Do do I enjoy reading about this? Actually, no. Um, And to start unsubscribing to these things and to start picking up books that you, because you just genuinely want to read them and you actually realize, and almost giving yourself that permission that it's actually okay. You, you, you have to start exploring and finding out things about yourself again. And, you know, for, for a while I thought maybe I'll be a dog trainer. And I started listening to dog training podcasts and reading books. And then I thought, no, that's not me. And then I just got curious about, well, I'm in this real conundrum because I don't know who I am or what I like. And so it was a process then of, uh, rediscovering me and it was not linear and I cried my heart out at times because part of what I haven't told you this part of the story when I closed my dog walking business I thought okay the money's running out I don't know what I'm gonna do so I know what I'll do I'll go back to my corporate career because at least the money will be coming in and I'll feel more comfortable taking time to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I applied for some jobs and I went and dipped my toe in the water into management consulting in terms of applying for a role. And I got through my first interview and I got through my second interview and I sat there and I could hear myself talking and thinking, this isn't me anymore but I'm going through all these motions because I don't know what else to do. And it, it it was over the Christmas break that I was between interviews for the last panel and over Christmas, I just felt this knot in my stomach. And thankfully by this point, I'd been doing enough yoga and enough meditation to know I need to listen to that. It's telling me 
this isn't right for me. And despite the fact that I so wanted to go back to that salary, it was like this pull to the dark side. I stopped myself and I went, this is not going to be healthy for me. I've just got to stick on this path that's scary and unknown and figure it out. And so that was really the point that I thought there's no going back to that. So you're still in the mess. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm coming out of it now because I do know who I am now. I do know what my values are. I do know, you know, for me, autonomy and, and flexibility and freedom in how I define my work is so important. It was never going to work as me being an employee. Helping other women is, is so important to me. And I, I was restricted in how I could do that in my career. So now I have freedom to define how I'm going to do that moving forward. So if any of this is resonating and you're in the I'm thinking of quitting phase and you're anticipating the identity quake, I'm offering you an exercise that I use with my coaching clients that I learned from Sahil Bloom. Number one, make a list of your most likely deathbed regrets and actually do that on paper. Then look at that list of your most likely deathbed regrets and tease out three to five personal values from what you read. Point number three, get radically honest with yourself. Are you really living those values at the moment? And for each of those core values, figure out an action that you can take to align with that value if you've fallen out of alignment. So here's another tip for your goodie bag before we finish. And this one is useful whatever part of the process you're in. Like Lily did, Start exploring who you are outside of your work. What do you enjoy? What lights you up? Get to know that part of yourself again, outside of the driving and the status and the business identity. And if you find yourself resistant or frustrated with my request here, thinking something like, I don't have time for that, I invite you to bring some curiosity and compassion to your reaction. Maybe redo the most likely deathbed regrets exercise and think about it again. The exploration of who you are beyond your job and the brand that you work for is a way to broaden your identity narrative, which is who you tell yourself that you are. So to finish, I ask Lily to leave us with another tip for your take action goodie bag. Here is her brick of wisdom. I would say you're not alone and don't try to figure it out on your own. Get support have a community who have been through what you're going through because sitting alone at home and trying to figure out what is going on in your head is it's so hard and it's unnecessary. I think there's so many people who want to help and um, reaching out to get that help is really important, having that support. But I would also say, Focus on your well-being. Start with the fundamentals. Start with the fundamentals of being well. Are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? Are you doing things during the day that 
bring you a little bit of joy, you know, walking the dog. And when that chatter in your head is going on about you're not figuring this out fast enough, which was happening to me all the time, just realize that these things happen on their own timeline and just honor that. So where are they now, you might be wondering. Megan Carl, former Nike executive, has written a book called Walk Away to Win, which is available on pre-order, so check that out. Alina Addison now runs a successful executive coaching business, and her kids are doing great. Lily Gill is clearer than ever on who she is, regardless of her business card, and she's figuring out her next steps. I hope their shares have been a shot of inspiration if you're anywhere on this journey. And if someone came to mind who is also in this exploration, thank you so much in advance for sharing this episode with them. Before you leave Spotify or Apple Podcasts today, please go ahead and hit the follow button if you haven't already. That is a huge gift to me. Thank you. And it means you'll never miss an episode. So thank you again for listening. And let's do this all again in two weeks.